Awesome. I'm going back a little bit in time. This was what you got to see on the screen of the first computer that my family owned back in 1981. And the computer was uh, aptly called the uh, Sinclair ZX81. And this was awesome. You could play games on this thing in your home. Then a little bit down the track, we upgraded. This is what the nerds call CGA graphics. Four colors. Beautiful four colors. You get to play games and, and you didn't just have to use, the other one was just characters from the font set. Now you got to do graphics that were really cool. And this was one of my favorite games. Anyone can, can tell me what it is? Test Drive. It looks even like a car. That's right. The screen cracked when you ran into the car. This just blew your mind. And you're like, wow, look what I can do on a computer. Then my grandpa got a new computer. And his new computer had an EGA graphics card in it. 16 colors all at once. Sky's the limit. Imagine what sort of games you can play on that. Can anyone pick the game? Prince of Persia. <laughs> Dating a few people in the room. <laughs> wow. Wow. And this, in this era, this, this was my game of choice. Now that's a little bit more complicated. This, is, this, is, uh, this was not a popular game. Go on. Someone go. Captain Comic. My cousin and I, who you're going to find out shortly, we spent a whole weekend playing this game because you couldn't save it. You had to play it from start to finish in one sitting. So I was the jump fireman and he was the move around man. And in one weekend, we conquered this game and beat it. It did crash at one point on us and we had to start again. But that was all right. We're up for the challenge. Captain Comic. 16 beautiful colors that could show trees and all sorts of things. And then you know what happened? A whole bunch of things came out. This is, this is in uh, DOS, DOS Windows sort of world, Microsoft world. Then 256 colors all at once. What more could you ever ask for? This is phenomenal. Oh, by the way, the uh, ZX81, uh, just for the nerds in the room, your phone probably has two million times the amount of memory that that had, just as a reference. Yeah, so your phone in your pocket had two million has two million times the amount of memory it has. The sky's the limit now. We can make pictures of any sort on the screen. Look at the amazing graphics you can have. So real. This is phenomenal. And just for a reference, to give context, this is a current game that you can play. Uh, 80s. Yeah, so probably 86 for, the, for Outrun, I think. You reckon? No, <laughs> I got the expert up the back. I should <laughs> so, but this is, this is now what, what kids play. But, see, no, no difference? See, no? Basically the same? That's right. They could work on their trees a bit there, I reckon. But that, no. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Because each step of the way, I thought I'd made it. I thought that, that, that we'd reached that point of, of nirvana. 
of gaming that had just gone next level and what could you possibly imagine past this point? And you get to that place of thinking, this is fantastic, this is how it's meant to be. Now, there's also a little bit of a tension going on because there's also your mate that's still got his CGA monitor and you're going, buddy, you're just not with it. You're going to have to upgrade because that's not where it's at. This is where it's at. And there's also that other part of you that's sitting there going, I don't have the latest thing. There's someone else that's got the latest thing and I don't have it. So is everything falling apart now? Each step of the way, I thought it was awesome. But there's this tension you've got on the journey. In my family, and this is again growing up, I told you about my cousin that I spent the weekend with. He belonged to the C. Pattersons. This is what we called them in-house. In, uh, in my dad had three brothers. So the four of them had a, a J for John, a D for Donald, a C for Colin, and R for Robert. So you had the J. Pattersons, the D. Pattersons, the C. Pattersons, and the R. Pattersons. But the C. Pattersons and the D. Pattersons both lived in Currumburra, and I hung out with them a little bit. However, there were some very distinct differences between the C. Pattersons and the D. Pattersons. And both families knew it. Because, see, the C. Pattersons were cool. By the way, I'm a D. Patterson. The C. Pattersons watched the latest TV shows. The D. Pattersons had to justify the educational value of the show if you were able to be, before you were allowed to watch it. The C. Pattersons got the latest tech. For the nerds at the time, they got a Sound Blaster card. So jealous of them getting a Sound Blaster card. And then, I'm going nerdier again, they got a Gravis Ultrasound. Mind-blowing, I know. <laughs> you had to be there. They had the tech, they had the cool. I think you'll probably find that they probably weren't cool relative to some other kids, but relative to me, they were cool. You see, there's this perspective that the C. Pattersons represented. They were looking for the next thing, keeping up with progress embracing change and in some ways they look down upon tradition we got picked on by the c pattersons why do you not have a microwave yet seriously microwaves are the way to go you should have a microwave what are your parents doing why haven't they bought a microwave yet we often had had banter with them we spent a lot of time together so we get along well well they were vhs they did, they weren't quite that early adopters but then on the d patterson side they like to stick with the familiar, confident in what's already working. You embrace the proven solutions, not the experimental ones, and you look down on those trends, that fads that come and go. Now, I don't know whether you relate to either side of these. Does anyone want to lean one way or the other? Let's start with the C. Pattersons. Who reckons they're a bit of a C. Patterson? Yeah, a few C. Pattersons. Who reckons they're a little bit of a D. Patterson? Yeah, oh, wow. Okay, interesting. Because, you know, church is very much like this. The C. Pattersons and the D. Pattersons are very much, and I hate generalizing, but it's a stereotype. We're working with stereotypes. Everyone's different. But churches are very much like this. There's this sense of sticking with the familiar things, the things that are proven. Why are we changing stuff? The way it was yesterday was fine. Church has been around for 2,000 years. Why do we have to do something different? And on the other side, you get people going, what's happening? What's going on? Simon's so keen to grab that next, next book or whatever it is that's, that's on the shelf. 
that you can grab whatever the fad's going around the churches. There's sarcasm in there, but that's all right. But there are, there's this sense of going, what's next? What's next? What's happening? I mock the trendsetters a little bit because I'm clearly a D. Patterson, right? But neither of these things are actually bad. Neither of these things are actually, these perspectives are actually bad. Now, the last line obviously is a little negative, looking down upon tradition and looking down upon trends. But as a whole, neither of these positions are actually a bad position. The question is, what do we do with it? Because often there's conflict in this space. Often there's tension. Well, I want to start with the premise, and it might sound obvious, that you only know what you know. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? You only know what you know. But I had a funny little light bulb moment this week where someone said to me, this circumstance made me realize that God knows what he's doing. Simple little phrase. And yet what they were really kind of saying is that I now know something that I didn't know previously. Now, from the outsider perspective, you can sit and laugh at that. God knows what he's doing. Duh. Like, it almost sounds ludicrous. Of course God knows what he's doing. Like, that's a foundational thing. And yet for that person, in that moment, when you say, I only know what I know, that changed. Something changed for them. And now, when they say, I only know what I know, it it was a little bit bigger. There was a little bit more to it. So we get caught up in the church environment of these personalities, of these tradition versus radical, where to go. There's all different ideas of leadership. There's all different ideas of of style. There's all different ideas of priority. And in the mixed, we have this phrase from 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So I've started with this premise, this idea that you only know what you know. When I'm sitting on my computer playing games as a teenager with 16 glorious colors, I only know what I know. When I sit in a church and I hear the songs that Pete chose to worship with and some resonate, some don't, I go, oh, what? I'm engaged sometimes, I'm not engaged others. I only know what I know. And when we follow leaders, we still only know what we know. And yet, there's a profound truth that I think I want us to really bed down, really hold on to. That does not apply to God. So in our circumstances, we only know what we know. And yet God is outside of that. And if God is outside of that, then our perspective and his perspective are going to be different sometimes. Our angle of looking at things and his angle of looking at things are going to be different. When we look at our graphics through the low-resolution screen, low colors, doesn't mean that's the way he sees it. I want to ask you about these words here. What do they have in common? They all start with R. They actually all start with R-E. Very good. Anything else they have in common? Change. They all revolve around change. Doing words, yeah, they're all... An action of some sort. All words Jesus said, bring life. Yep. This is diversity. This is so cool. When we start with people who want to be radical trendsetters and people who go, let's stay it safe, they're two human perspectives that they just know what they know. Their life experiences might have created that. In my case, my parental upbringing has been a big influence on that. We just know what we know. And yet there is something very, very profound about every single one of these words and what they all mean together. 
And that is, for those that like the conservative space, things being how they are, God is like that too. Because God is a God that had a plan from the beginning and it was a good plan. So nothing's changing. For those that don't like change, the plan in the beginning is still the same plan. Yeah? The plan he had, he hasn't changed his mind on. He's a faithful God, so that's okay. But for those that are in the other camp who like the new thing, who are frustrated with how things is and go, we need change, we need freshing, we need something different. God is a God like that too. But all of these words are very significant. And if you want some references, there's some references for you, just to show that it's not just me. Um, God is like that too. But the profound thing about God is he starts with something that was good. It gets broken, distorted, damaged, warped. And God says, I'm going to bring it back to how it was meant to be. So for those that like predictable, you know what the ending is going to be. For those that like change, God is a God of change to restore back to how it was. And I've got another word to add to the bottom there. Sam prayed it in, um, in prayer this morning. I was like, oh, it's another reword. It's another God word. The word revelation. So we've got renewing, making something new again. It was once new, it's now new again. We've got restoring, rebuilding it back to the way it was meant to be. Resurrecting is bringing back to life something that was dead. But to be dead, it had to have been alive once as well. So it was alive, it became dead, and it became alive again. That's what resurrecting is. To refresh is to bring freshness back to something that was fresh and became stale. To rebuke, oh, hang on, that's to bring correction to something that has been wandered off the path. To bring it back to the way it was meant to be. To redeem is to, I always remember, um, I think it's Ruth that, that refers to the Kingsman Redeemer. To bring back into the family that which was broken from the family. Back into a sense of belonging. To redeem. To rescue someone who's lost, who's far away, who's in trouble, is being brought back to a place of safety. And what was your word, Sam? Revelation. How does revelation fit in? To reveal, to bring an idea back into the picture that was already there, but it needs to be put in front of us. This is an amazing picture of a God who is consistent and faithful and steady, but is bringing about change to bring it back, yeah? It's a beautiful picture, but we struggle with it because we only know what we know. This picture is actually something that we call something else. What the gospel is, restoring that which broken, bringing back to the Father that was which, which was broken from the Father. As a church, this is at the heart of what makes us tick. We only know what we know. We only see in part. We are not God. We catch a glimpse of what this could look like. But we build on a foundation that says, this is God's agenda. This is his heart. This is significant. And the reason I'm unpacking this is because we're starting a series based on a book by a guy called Francis Chan. And it's called Letters to the Church. And for those who are traditionalists, you go, 
shouldn't we just be reading the Bible? What else do we need to know? Good point. For those that are out on the edge going, what's next? Why are we reading at all? Shouldn't we be doing something? Like, we could be doing something rather than reading something. There's so many personalities. But I really want to encourage you to get on board. I'm really excited about it because we only know what we know. And if we only know what we know, there's actually more for us. And the beauty of what Francis Chan is unpacking in this book, he's not God, he only knows what he knows too. But he's had a cool journey and has some things that I think are helpful for us as a body. And what's really helpful is he understands this picture really well. And in the same way that we look at this picture for those that are lost and don't know God, I believe God wants to do something new in the church. I don't think the church is finished. I don't think the church is re-everything that it's meant to be. But if we only know what we know, what if we're sitting in four-color CGA graphics right now? What if that's the space we're in and that's all we know? What if there's something more for, for us? We can get stubborn and we can back down the hatches and go, I'm okay with four-color graphics. It's done me fine so far. I enjoy my games. I don't want anything different. The beauty of and um, the, the first chapter I'd really encourage you to read to get a picture of his journey. But the beauty of this, of this perspective is that Francis Chan doesn't want you to follow Francis Chan. What he's trying to unpack is some things in Scripture that the church has forgotten, that the church has got distracted or distorted or um, co got complicated. And so they're an opportunity for us to ask questions. Is Francis Chan perfect? No. Does he have all the answers? No. Does he have some questions that are really useful and some scripture that is really good for us to unpack? Absolutely. And at the end of the first chapter, oh, by the way, on a Sunday, I'm not going to just read out or repeat what Francis Chan's saying. That's not the point. Um, you can read it for yourself. But, um, and you can unpack that personally in your Activate groups. But for the body of the church to go on a journey, this is his starting point. At the end of the first chapter, he says, there is no time to care about what I want in the church. There's no time to worry about what others are looking for in a church. I'm sorry, your opinion doesn't matter. I don't care if you're Paul or Apollos. I will be facing him soon. Have to stay focused on his desires. There's got to be a hunger in us, not for change, but for restoration. Was that one of the words? I didn't even think it was. Was it? It was, yeah. We've got to believe that what I know is not what God knows and that to be restored, I can't do it on my own. This is not a self-help exercise. This is an opportunity for us to go, God, what is it that you want to reveal? What is it that you want to put in front of me so that we can be part of the restoration of what you're doing? It's not something I'm conjuring up. It's something that we want to participate in. And basically... Francis Chan's ripping off a Bible verse. It's new, but it's not new. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's an opportunity. 
there's an invitation. There's a natural tendency for us to either jump in, depending on if we're like a C. Patterson, or, or hold back if we're like a D. Patterson, to question and to judge. But what I want to agree on this morning, and I believe we can, is that God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that as a church, we want to embrace that. We don't want to lean on our own understanding, on our own ideas, and our own wisdom. Our, even our own experiences, as valuable as they are, they do not define the journey that God has for us. Sure, God uses them. They're beautiful ways that He can teach and guide us. But my experience does not define God's capacity. My experience does not define God's plans and purposes. And if I'm not prepared to say, what I know is only part of what God wants, then we end up stagnating. This isn't a place of rebuke. This isn't a place of ripping things apart. Some people would love that. Some people will hate it. The point is not to do that. The point is to say, I'm convinced that God is restoring the church. That the church is not finished. It's in progress. And I want to be part of that. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what it looks like because I only know what I know. But I do know the one that does. And I do want to trust that God is not a God that hides himself, but is a God that actually desires to partner with us in this. So I really want to just encourage you. We're going to continue to, if, if you haven't got a copy of the book, um, that was maybe a sales pitch, I don't know. You can write your name up the back. Tanya's going to Kurong on Tuesday to grab uh, more uh, physical books. If you prefer to um, listen to an audio book, um, I can organize that for you. Write your name on the sheet too. But I would really love our posture. And this is, uh, like, this is the theme of the first chapter. Who's read the first chapter, by the way? Yep. Okay, so we've got our two, two C. Pattersons and the D. Pattersons, yeah? The D. Patterson in me says, um, there's a guide, there's a book. You know, there's a structure. But there's also a little C. Patterson in me who goes, follow God, don't follow the DVD. <laughs> it's just a guide. It's just a pointer. If you don't end up reading the book, but God's speaking loud and clear about the church through Scripture, brilliant. Bring it to Activate Group. Pull it apart. Agree on what God's saying together. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, this is just a very simple mechanism for, to put some things in front of us, to ask questions and say, God, what's important here? And the reason we're doing this as a church is because it would be cruel for a, a portion of the church to go on a journey about what's healthy as a church and everyone else to be left in a place of not understanding. In the first chapter, Francis Chan actually uses a story um, because he did that. That's what he did to his congregation. Um, and, uh, but he uses a story after talking with a young person in his congregation. And he said it was kind of like they'd been given a set of skates. They'd gone out and learnt to skate. And they skated around the rink and could do tricks and all sorts of beautiful things. And then someone came up to them and said, you need to join the hockey team and win, win a championship. That's what those skates are for. And, and this poor person with their skates is like, 
has been just completely wiped off their feet because they're a great skater, but they realize that the goal's changed. That's not the aim. God doesn't want to do that. We don't want to do that. This is a body that operates like a body. We all bring gifts and, and talents and abilities, and we all want to journey together. So the idea of, of following a book is purely just so that we can journey together. Um, it's not because Francis Chan's perfect. It's just an opportunity for us to grow together in being the renewed church that God wants us to be. It wasn't that we weren't doing that yesterday. It's just that in this season, we're going to focus on it together. So I really, really encourage you to posture yourself to say, God, I want to receive. God, I believe you want more. And I want to be part of that. And I want to unpack what you're doing in Scripture, not in my own limited thinking. Does that make sense? Beautiful. I do have books for those that um, already had ordered them. Um, So if you've ordered a book and haven't got it, it's in that box down there um, with your name written in the first page. And if you haven't got it, feel free to grab it. No pressure, but um, would love to do this journey together.